Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nerd Degree! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Nerd Degree. Uh, my name is Andrew Todd. Uh, I will be your host for this episode, entitled Brains Ajar. That's right. Uh, these are the jokes, folks. Um, this is an episode entirely about brains and minds and uh, what goes on in our heads. Um, it's surprising that we've taken this long to get around uh, to doing an episode on brains, given that this is a show about nerds um, and hosted uh, by nerds and for nerds. Um, we have two teams who will be answering questions and uh, and making things up when they can't answer the questions uh, in, in, in competition for points and for your love. Uh, so why don't you introduce yourselves? Um, and as you introduce yourselves, I want you, I want to know, so there's this myth that uh, humans only use 10% of their brains um, and like new age types like to say that, uh, you know, the other 90% is like where ESP and uh, telekinesis and, and stuff comes from. I'd like to know what, uh, if, the, if that myth was true, what you would use the other 90% of your brain for. Uh, starting, uh, starting over here. Hi there, my name is uh, Jeff Clark. I am an improviser, comedian, writer, and comic book aficionado. And uh, I would, uh, if, I, if I did have a spare 90% of my brain, I'd probably use it for what I currently use most of my brain for, which is rhymes, puns, and uh, theme tunes for TV shows and cartoons from the 80s and 90s. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name's Andrew. I'm a New Zealander, a Canadian, and also an animator. And if I had another 90% of my brain to use, I think, uh, I would use about 45% of it to think up bad puns and the other 45% to say, hasn't humanity suffered enough and not tell them? <laughs> that's good. Uh, that's sort of uh, mutual annihilation of, of ideas. Yeah, I don't, I don't have that part. Yeah. Um, so, so together you guys are... Not all Mensa. <laughs> yep, a very topical. On my left, <laughs> we have... Uh, kia ora, my name's Moada Tamaira. I'm a librarian and a writer, and if I had an extra 90% brain, I would probably use it to learn how to do maths good, um, <laughs> and to an advanced level, and then I would um, use my advanced math to make calculations so that I could determine what the lotto numbers are in this week's lotto draw. Mm. Oh, I've got a bu- I've, oh, I've got a button for that. <laughs> what do you need to know about your buttons? Hi everyone, I'm Brendan Bennett and I'm a playwright and improviser. If I only used ten percent of my brain, I would use the rest for just physical storage. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm always carrying like chewing gum, my keys, all those kinds of things. My skull's always there. Why not use that for something more practical? So like That's snacks. good. Yeah, I just keep some snacks in there. <laughs> uh, would you like have a, some sort of hinge mechanism on your on your skull? Yeah, like a little door on the side. Like. <laughs> just just pull out a granola bar or something. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you don't need to carry a handbag around anymore. Exactly, it would Jeez. save me all that trouble. That's the. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm the only person who thought of this. Yeah, use the uh, Steve Martin screw top method. Mm-hmm. Yes, man yes. with two brains. Um, we also have uh, in in the studio. We have Erin, uh, who is a who has a real life PhD, making her the smartest person in the cast, uh, <laughs> or <laughs> definitely the most qualified. Um, welcome, Erin. Hello, Andrew. Uh, how's things in the tiny little glass room? It's a little muggy. But apart from that, it's good. Okay, I'm not going to press any further on that. Um, Andrew, uh, Moata and I have decided to form a team as well. Oh, you have? Oh, yes. yes. Good. I know, you were, I know you're trying to skip past this because you don't like our team name. <laughs> Out with it. It's um, Neuron Burgundy. <laughs> It's only going to go downhill from here. I can feel it. Um, Very well. Brains. They are required for life. Uh, They're required for conscious thought. They are apparently not required for running major developed nations. Um, (laughs) Let us begin with uh, round one, which is called the Nerd Quotient. 
Um, and could the teams roll for initiative, please? Natural 20. Um, two. <laughs> Very well. Uh, Not all Mensa will have the first question, which is, what do floaters, brain grey, and the prisoner's cinema have in common? Floaters, brain grey, and the prisoner's cinema. Um, they're, they're not um, Donald Trump's next cabinet picks. Um... <laughs> They've got, they've got no laughter whatsoever <laughs> because it's, it's, it's impossible to it's t- not funny laugh anymore. about <laughs> anything to do with that. Um, Are they all sort of health shakes kind of drinks? Health shakes? Yeah. Prisoner's cinema. Yeah, exactly. Drink it down, uh, get the health of a, of a jailbird watching a movie. Sorry, what were they again? Uh, floaters, brain grey, and the prisoner's cinema. I hate to say this, but they're all ways to describe poo. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Floaters, obviously, if you have a lot yes. of fat in your diet. Brain grey. It's a colour if you're sick. Yeah. And um, prison cinema, like if there's nothing else to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a sympathy point for that. Um, uh, are they are they colours in the new Dulock? Julep's colour range? <laughs> it's like designer I've, range. I've painted my room in uh, prisoner cinema. <laughs> <laughs> um, like really going to increase the value see, of the house. Like in your eyeballs? Like, uh, well, there are floaters, yeah. yeah. You, you get them as you get older. You get sort of floating specks on the... Uh, uh, Brendan is absolutely correct. They are uh, entoptic phenomena. Um, so they're the things that you see uh, that aren't the things that you're looking at. So uh, things that like are basically inside your eyeballs or, or originating from inside your eyes that uh, appear as kind of um, artifacts or colors or swirls. Um, like when you close your eyes and you see like weird patterns and um, little bright bright spots. Uh, that's uh, that's entoptic phenomena. Other others include form constants, uh, visual snow after images, uh, blue sky sprites, and something called a Haydinger's brush. Mm. See, I, I actually knew that one, but I spent too long trying to make jokes so you could say I have a bad sense of vitreous humour. Mm. <laughs> I could, Jeff. I'm not. I could do, say uh, that. I'm not going to do it. I, I sense that I'm on a bad course of action here. I could say yeah, that, but... Um, I'm going to kick in that other 45% of my brain. But uh, I'm not going to, because okay. you already did. Um, very good. Uh, so that's some points to uh, Neuron Burgundy there. Question two um, also goes to Neuron Burgundy. Yes. Um, I love when you say it. Um... <laughs> Um, why could you soon go from merely owning an iPhone to being able to say iPhone? Once we have mastered the power of telephonic technology, yes, we will be able to make phone calls. And so, <laughs> like, because, because, you know, at the moment we're so reliant on Siri to do our phoning for us. Yes. But if we were able to, like, push buttons in order to enact a phone call, I would be able to say I phone. <laughs> this is what you're... I mean, I, I thought I was being pretty clear with the presence of a comma in that phrase, uh, but yeah, I, comma, phone. phone that you can operate by blinking somehow? Um, there probably is, but that's not what I'm uh, going for. Okay. Um, not all Mensa? It is like, how would, how would we... Uh, how, how might um, our cell phones and our... Sense of uh, sense of self collide. Well, I mean, the there's already the there's already the uh, the suggestion that we are becoming essentially cyborgs in terms of relying more and more heavily on our phones as a source of information and not storing it in our own brains because we know we can look it up online. Um, so this could be something to do with transhumanity in terms of having actual smartphone technology installed in our brains, like microchips and things like that, so that we can literally phone using our brains? I'll give you a point for that, but it's not what I was going for. Um, the answer is uh, that uh, your cell phone may uh, or could become you after you die. Uh, there's a company called Eternomy Incorporated um, that is current, where you can currently, you can sign up right now 
um, which aims to use machine learning algorithms to analyze your emails and your text messages and, and your other writing to essentially create a bot um, so that after you die, your family members can still talk to you. Can it, um, can it keep voting on your behalf? Is that, is that what's the problem is? Um, not not sure. Will the, the phone continue to perform your roles in major motion pictures? <laughs> <laughs> but if the phone belonged to the Pope, would it still be a direct line for, to heaven after he's died? Hmm. You could just pick up the Pope and call. Yeah. Um, the official the official statement of Eternity is, um, and it's kind of creepy. We want to preserve for eternity the memories, ideas, creations, and stories of billions of people. Think of it like a library, but with people instead of books. <laughs> An invaluable treasure for humanity. Have you ever tried checking in a person? You've got to slide them over the barcode reader for one thing. Um, apparently 35,000 people have signed up for Eternomy currently. Um, and uh, at least some of them are probably on the staff of uh, Black Mirror. Uh, um, very good. Uh, not all Mensa. I hate, to, I hate to return to this topic, but um, President Donald Trump claims to be, quote, like a smart person. Um, and there, has been, there have been inaccurate rumors spread that his IQ is <laughs> 156. <laughs> but who actually, who actually was, who, who are actually the smartest uh, U.S. presidents? The smartest U.S. presidents? Um, I, I would... I'm not sure if it's just the, the afterglow, but um, I would say President Obama was probably reasonably clever. Uh, President Obama is it well uh, is is he's up there. Um, there there was a study done uh, in 2006 uh, and and later amended based on a historiometrical uh, study of writings and things that uh, tried to retro retroactively judge the IQs of presidents <laughs> uh, going back to uh, the birth of the United States. Wow, uh, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, Woodrow Wilson is like number eight. Roosevelt. Uh, which yeah, which one? Oh, Teddy Roosevelt. Um, Teddy Roosevelt is like. See, I have this list. It was like it was a numbered um, uh, list on on Google Docs, but because I tabbed it out, it's now A B C D E F G H. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are. Um, You'll never be a code breaker, Andrew. I'll never. So yeah. we're saying you're not at the top of this list. <laughs> no. Um, FDR. Well, FDR is like. Towards the, he's in the, the lower, at, lower 50. We really want to get to the bottom. Carter, now. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter's number two. Wow. Washington? Uh, uh, aliens. No, um, the smartest president uh, apparently was John Quincy Adams, uh. um, who uh, supposedly had a, an IQ of 165. Wow. Um, Obama ties with Lincoln down about uh, 15 places at 140. Towards the bottom, uh, Gerald Ford mm. uh, is, is at the bottom with 111. Uh, George W. Bush with 124. Um, Donald Trump's has not been recorded, but perhaps he could get his uh, brain surgeon friend Ben Carson to open up his head and have a look. Or um, his phone. We could just judge it on his phone. Or just judge it on his phone. His... Huge. Yes. Huge. Um, <laughs> Neuron Burgundy. Um, what's the most... Uh, there have been a lot of different uh, treatments for mental illness over the years, um, but what, what's the most satisfying one? Lobotomy. Um... It is not lobotomy. No. Six. That's a really good answer, actually. Um, like just peanut butter sandwiches. I'm going to. I'm going to. Like um, I know in the Victorian era, era mm. they would um, treat hysteria um, in women with basically medically applied vibrators. One hundred percent correct. Um, oh. In fact. That's right. Um, uh, vibrators were, were first developed as uh, a means of treating a whole slew of, of, of uh, uh, physical and mental maladies, uh, including neuralgia and neurasthenia. Um, Hate it. Uh, morbid, <laughs> something called morbid irritability. Yeah, yeah, had that. Um, indigestion and constipation. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was used, also used to treat arthritis um, and inflammation and tumors. Some World War I soldiers uh, who got wounded received vibrotherapy as a treatment uh, in field hospitals. Um, but I, 
I tried to find more information about what that entailed, but... Uh, ter- <laughs> I'm afraid they were terribly embarrassed afterwards. Uh, but yeah, they, they only began to be marketed in homes after about 1900, and they were still sort of marketed as, um, uh, as, as kind of medical instruments. Mm. It wasn't until uh, the 60s that people actually started uh, calling them by what they were mm. and, uh, and admitting what they'd been using them <laughs> for the whole time. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly made a buzz in the medical community because the patients just kept coming and coming and coming. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. I'm just telling you now. I, it's, this is all I know how to do. <laughs> this is all I know to have. Oh, God. I'm feeling depressed and irritable. <laughs> Someone help me. Well, you could always get a lobotomy, Jeff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, not all Mensa. Um, how could video game technology help save a man's life? Uh, have you heard of the game Surgeon Simulator? <laughs> <laughs> I have, I've also seen videos of actual surgeons playing Surgeon Simulator, and they're no better at it than the rest of us. Okay. Well, um, imagine that with Wiimotes. <laughs> I mean, there, there is... I actually have a friend who was working on um, video game technology to uh, measure reaction time and improve reaction time for safe driving. So simulation experiments to assist in people's hand-eye coordination and reaction times. Um, I know that there are, there are things like therapy games that people can play in order to help people make recoveries from brain injuries and things like that, learning how mm-hmm. to rewire parts of their brain. So um, those would be my serious non-pun-based answers, <laughs> which apparently are the only thing I have left. Good. We've... Uh, we've, we've, we've... <sighs> Temporarily. <laughs> Temporarily uh, emptied that well. Mm. Um, I'm thinking of a specific, uh, tech, specific emerging video game technology here. Well, because sugar is so harmful <laughs> yes. to people's health, Candy Crush. <laughs> um, it's not Candy Crush. I'll give you one final clue. Um, it's the, the man in question... Um, it is one specific man. Um, it is a man currently uh, suffering from muscular dystrophy um, who is to become the subject of the first human head transplant uh, this year. Mm. Which is being performed in surgery. Oh, are, they, are, they are they using like processing systems from game systems to wire his brain or spinal column to the new body? Is that... Uh, not quite. He's, um, he's being put through uh, virtual reality uh, treatments in preparation for the surgery to prepare his brain for waking up with a different person's body attached to his head. So he's like playing like the, the character creation uh, part of like Mass Effect. Yeah, except you, you, can't, you can't max the sliders out though. Um, uh, you can't, no. There's, no. there's no monster factory in actual... Uh, <laughs> um, actual uh, surgery. Um, yeah, it's being developed by... The, the software is developed by a Chicago-based company, and it's designed specifically for this purpose um, <laughs> to help prospective head transplant uh, patients uh, deal with the shock of uh, getting another person's body. I guess you could do it like a low-tech way, though. If you just had like, a photo of what the, body, <laughs> what the body would look like and like, attached it to like, your, your, <laughs> just under your chin... Like, oh, yeah. every time you look down, you like, see a different body. Oh, good thing I'm Sim- getting used to that. Simple. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, one of the, 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 sur- the surgeon who's, who's doing it um, has been criticized by, uh, by journalists and scientists, one of whom said that fusing a head with a separate body, this is an exact quote, um, could result in a hitherto never experienced level and quality of insanity. Mm. <laughs> um, Fair point. Up until t- 2017, of course. Especially if it's actually a fly's body. Mm. Yeah. Um, and final question for uh, Neuron Burgundy. Why are two heads usually not better than one? Well, if one of them is a fly's head. <laughs> uh, good point. Not the point I was after. Um, well, it'd be bad for balance, first of all. That's correct, actually. Um, oh. But it's not, it's not a complete answer. Constant head banging. Um, yeah, this well, is like the answer. The answer is simple, simpler like than than conjoined twin type situation. Uh, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes two heads. Yeah. Two heads is what we're talking about here. 
you just you'd just get conflicting brain messages to the body parts, so you wouldn't know your body wouldn't know what which ones to obey and to move to. Mm. And uh, that would result in uh, uncontrollable jerks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a real yeah. uncontrollable yeah. jerk yeah. ever since he got that second head. <laughs> oh man, what a dick! <laughs> Wait, are you talking about two dicks? Oh. No, although the, the um, I did read a, a Reddit um, AMA with, with a guy with a guy who has two dicks, but that's a completely different episode. There was, uh, there was oh, a movie. Um, Greg Kinnear and Matt Damon were conjoined twins. Stuck on you. Stuck on yep. you. And it was fucking terrible. Is that the answer? No, um, the answer is that uh, if you have two heads, you usually die. Um, I will say this though If you have one head You usually die as well You should do it. However <laughs> um, the, the rate at the, And the stage at which you die If you uh, suffer from uh, Polycephaly As the, the state is called um, Is generally much earlier um, it has occurred in humans a few times, but it's much more common in animals. And in Muppets on Sesame Street. Yeah. And in Muppets on Sesame Street. Um, snakes and turtles are the most common uh, multi, multi-headed animals. Um, also cats, cattle, sheep, pigs, dogs, goats, crocodiles, and fish. No two-headed sharks as of yet. Uh, that we know of. No witnesses. No. <laughs> But there yeah, should be an um, awesome movie about that. Yeah. There already is a movie about it, and it is not awesome. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, but it, it does, it causes confused movement due to having two nervous systems. Um, snake heads, snakes with two heads, will sometimes the heads will attack each other, oh. um, which is just unspeakably cool, um, but <laughs> probably very unpleasant uh, for the snake in question. Um, however, one snake um, with two heads survived for eight years in captivity. Um, so... Uh, so you, can live, for us all. you can live a bit longer, but it's just going to be really unpleasant. Um, that's the end of that round. Erin, uh, how are we doing? How are we looking for scores? We're, we're doing pretty well, Andrew. I'm just googling, and I've immediately found an article from National Geographic entitled "Two-Headed Sharks Keep Popping Up and No One Knows Why." What? What? So uh, they're talking about um, increased mutations off of Florida, including a bull shark whose uterus contained a two-headed fetus mm. and a two-headed blue shark embryo in the Indian Ocean. Otherwise, uh, in third place <laughs> is um, the rogue destructive intelligence known as Google Documents on three points. <laughs> in second place, not all Mensa are punning and unpunning themselves mm. on nine, and Neuron Burgundy are vibrating their way to the top with 11. Great. Um, so we'll move on to. Uh, so I asked I asked you guys to do some homework to create a TED talk that would truly blow our minds. Um, so we'll uh, we'll split these up and we'll do we'll do two now. Um, so uh, Moata, would you like to? Uh, I would love blow our to, minds. Andrew. Um, it's a Kiwi icon. It's something we all know and love. But there's something about it that you maybe don't know. Mm. And. I'm going to tell you about it. It's 1964. One of the most trusted brands in New Zealand releases its new product. That product is the Tip Top Trumpet. Uh, It's one of their most successful products. Uh, You can still buy it today. At the time, it was one of the first uh, products in New Zealand to have its own television campaign. That's how big it was. In the mid-'80s, Rachel Hunter fronted... (laughs) the television campaign and uh, everybody wanted a yellow V-dub and for her to be their girlfriend. Um, (laughs) But but the thing about a trumpet is it's really just a cornetto. (laughs) I know, right? But when you think about it, the British company streets have had the, the product Cornetto out much, much earlier than the trumpet, and they are basically identical. <laughs> and that's not all. Neither of them actually look anything like a fucking trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> so just think about that. Thank you. Pretty good. Mind blown. And uh, Jeff, if you could uh, enlighten us with uh, some mind-blowing knowledge. 
What I'm about to tell you <laughs> is a way for you to sound intelligent, profound, and wise. Pausing <laughs> before saying words <laughs> gives them emphasis. Wait. And by pausing, you thus encourage people to listen. But don't overuse <laughs> pausing or you sound stupid. <laughs> One effective pause is pausing before you speak. But perhaps the best pause is pausing instead of speaking. Where did I learn this? William Shatner. Thank you. I'm actually going to give the points to uh, Moata on that one uh, because I could have told you, Jeff, that uh, uh, hearing you pause would be better than hearing you speak. Oh. Oh. I, will, I will comment that when I edit the podcast, I always go through and take out the pauses. So. <laughs> <laughs> Your talk's going to be real quick and it's not going to make any sense. It's going to be... <laughs> Oh. A TED talk's, you, that TED Talk's going to be hypocritical if you could, as fuck. If you, could, if you could edit in some applause of my puns, that would be greatly appreciated. Very good. <laughs> so, uh, this brings us to, um, to round two, which is called Psychopaths of Glory. Obviously no uh, old... Classic Kubrick fans in here. Um, anyway, um, so there is a. I'm going to pass out uh, to the uh, panelists. Um, this is a checklist. Um, it's called the Hair Psychopathy or Psychopathy Checklist. Psychopathy. Psychopathy. Mm, let's just say that's what it is. Um, and it is a. Uh, it's a 20 point checklist of uh, personality traits usually associated with um, uh, someone, p- people who are psych- psychopathic. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a mental disorder that is very uh, misunderstood. It's often used just to describe someone who's unusually angry or, or something, but it is a, ver- it's a specific uh, disorder. And uh, it's one that I believe... Uh, is exhibited by uh, the majority of pop culture action heroes. Um, so we're going to put that to the test mm-hmm. with your with your with your checklist there. Um, I want to just uh, sort of lead a discussion on um, uh, on some some action heroes, starting with uh, starting with Batman. Is Batman a psychopath? Well, based on this list, um, certainly he has um, he has a, 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 a certain lack of realistic long term goals. Um, <laughs> eliminate all crime in a major metropolitan city. I'm sorry, that's not going to really happen. Um, he's quite impulsive. He had um, obviously early behaviour problems and. Although that's not entirely his fault, it was inflicted on him by severe childhood trauma at the age of eight. Okay. But he doesn't seem to fear a lot, feel a lot of uh, remorse, guilt, or empathy for the uh, criminals which he uh, punches and otherwise inc- incarcerates. One would have to say grandiose estimation of self when you have mm. a big uh, spotlight that uh, <laughs> projects up your logo and you have uh, a host of different transportation mm. all modelled on your own theme. Mm. <laughs> I mean, pathological <laughs> lying. Uh, he's constantly saying, "No, I don't know who Batman is." Uh, yeah. Who are you? I'm the Bat. Like objectively, you're yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not. You're not even a Bat. Yeah. I mean, uh. if, we're, if we're going with the um, if we're going with the uh, 1970s run on uh, Batman, uh, <laughs> the Neil the Neil Adams many short term marital relationships. That's a mm-hmm. deep comic book nerd cut right there. Uh, <laughs> Um, 
If the utility belt doesn't scream criminal versatility, I don't know what does. Mm. And of, course he lives, and of course he lives entirely off the money that was left to him by his parents, so that's parasitic lifestyle. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, failure to accept responsibility for own actions as well. Like A lot of these uh, supervillains that turn up in Gotham are somehow connected to something he did at one time. Mm. They force him to confront this and he just punches them a few times and moves on. Mm. That's right. Aaron, I'm going to award points to uh, any, any point that is given uh, in, in this round, uh, so if you can retroactively do that. Um, <laughs> Uh, as accurately as you can. Um, you're a PhD, you can figure it out. Um, I'm a PhD in the humanities. <laughs> um, moving on to, um, I think this will be a pretty open and shut case, James Bond. Okay, well, we got sexual promiscuity. Mm-hmm. Tick. Boy, do we. Glib and superficial charms. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Grandiose and exaggeratedly high estimation of self, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Lack of remorse or guilt every time he makes a joke, every time he kills someone, you know. Hey, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> the former, not the latter. Um, <laughs> cunning and manipulativeness and also patho- pathological lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, very poor behavioural controls. Uh, let's move, move, oh, move. And criminal versatility. Is he actually a criminal, though, or is he above the law? He's... Well, he's criminally versatile. He can do anything. He can play... He's so versatile that it is criminal. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody should be allowed to do that many things. Let's move up, move up to, uh, to maybe, maybe more of a, a, a grey area. How about um, Luke Skywalker? Take that back! <laughs> <laughs> this, is for, this is for science. This is for science. Okay, early behaviour problems... Yeah, in, in his youth, he just wouldn't fix those moisture evaporators. Oh. Well, he was always wasting time with his friends at Tashi Station. And after Tashi I mean, impulsivity. He ran away from Obi Wan to look uh, to look, go and see Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. He left before complete was his training. Mm. He went and faced Vader against the advice of the Jedi Masters. It was really only lucky that he was cunning and manipulative enough to awaken his father's latent goodness and speak to him. <laughs> um, need for stimulation. He's never he's never happy where he is. He's always looking for the next mm. thing. Yeah, pathological you know? lying. What what could be a greater lie than lying to yourself? He finds out his father's Vader and he says, "No, no, that's impossible." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a grandiose, exaggerated, the high estimation of self. I mean, admittedly, that is inflicted on him by Yoda saying that he is going to be the last Jedi or the last Jedi. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Han's out of it for a little bit, and then suddenly someone gets delusions of grandeur. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a line from the film, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it is. I think a definitely lack of realistic long-term goals. What? What? Did to bring the... balance to the force. Oh, really. Jeez. Realistic. I'm trying to do that for millennia. Goals. His only goal is to like head off to Toshi Station, and then it's like, oh, blow up the Death Star. He's not yeah. thinking ahead. Yeah, I mean, we mm. can't really make a call on sexual promiscuity until Episode Eight comes out, so um, we don't know. Maybe we won't even be able to make a call then. No, um, Star Wars not known for its uh, sexual content. Um, uh, <laughs> not and finally, main, not mainstream Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Not Star Wars written by people outside the right-hand side of this table. Um, and finally, finally, let's, uh, let's, let's really, really try and put this checklist to the test. Superman. Is Superman a psychopath? Okay, look, juvenile delinquency. I mean, as a baby, his, his entire home planet blew up. Now, I'm not saying it's his fault, but where they smoke this fire? <laughs> <laughs> yes, good point. Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, again, we have the issues—the issues of um, a grandiose and exaggerated high estimation of self. Um, he does call himself Superman. Superman. Well, technically, that was foisted upon him. That was given to him by Lois Lane. He didn't have to accept it. That is also true. <laughs> I mean, the pathological lying, cunning, and manipulativeness is kind of a necessity in his his role as protector of the earth, but. Um, you know, it's 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 tricky because, again, his 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 lying isn't really pathological. You know, he's careful about it, and he well, he he has to do it in certain situations, and he knows mm. what he's saying, and he's not just doing it impulsively. 
Yeah, I mean, he's been he's got many short-term marital relationships. There was that uh, six-issue run where he was married <laughs> to Maxima. Uh, there was an alternate reality where he married Lois Lane and Wonder Woman. Uh, Lana Lang and Lois Lane buried him in another uh, 1960s storyline. Okay, um, next, next um, parasitic <laughs> lifestyle, right? Isn't he really just living off the host that is the Earth? You know, he's like a introduced... Or the sun, surely. The well, yellow sun, like he's yeah. a introdu- like it's like rats coming over um, into New Zealand and destroying a local no. fauna and flora. Plus, he comes to Earth parasite. and destroys our lo- local crime, the, our crime <laughs> ecosystem. Well, plus, there's okay. plus there's literally the parasite who tries to feed off his powers and failure to accept responsibility for own actions. When he fucks things up, what does what does he do? He flies backwards around the Earth so that time goes backwards oh. and he can change what happened. Just deal with it, Superman. Just deal with it. <laughs> Very good. Um, on that point, uh, we'll, uh, we'll move on. Um, Aaron, how are we doing for scores? Well, it's, it's pretty close. Both teams are exhibiting um, a lack of comedic inhibition and, <laughs> and a sense of pun-worthy grandiosity, but it seems that not all Mensa has snuck ahead by one point, 26 mm. to 25. <sighs> Okay, um, so it's time for round two of TED Talks. Uh, so, uh, Andrew, would you like to enlighten yes. us? Right, I have a TED Talk that's a little... Oh, you've got visual aids yeah. as well. Oh, hey, yeah. we were oh, told we could do that. Sorry for the, for the listeners at home, um, but uh, this does have a visual component. Well, it's it's not really important, it's just there to sort of illustrate this uh, historical look at Mario and Bowser. Oh. Now, we've all heard of Mario, we're all nerds here, we know about Mario... We probably all know that Mario's main rival is Bowser, the monstrous turtle demon thing. At at this point, super nerds who want to out-nerd everyone else will point out that originally Mario was called Jumpman and his rival was Donkey Kong, not Bowser. Well, super nerds, you're wrong. Turns out Bowser was the real antagonist in Donkey Kong. The many parallels between the game Donkey Kong and the movie King Kong are obvious, so it's reasonable to say that the construction site where Donkey Kong takes place is the site of the Empire State Building, which itself appears in the Mario canon later on. (laughs) And there it is there, and Mario is missing. Now, the construction of any skyscraper requires someone to run the day-to-day operations on site. A construction superintendent. So if, say, a giant ape climbed up the structure and rearranged the girders, this would have to go through the construction superintendent. Now, the construction superintendent for the Empire State Building was, in fact, Bowser. I now quote from Wikipedia, which cites no fewer than four sources on this. John W. Bowser, 1892 to 1956, was a Canadian construction engineer, most notably the project construction superintendent for the Empire State Building. It's reasonable that this historic fact must carry over into the Mario canon. Now, while there is no available picture of Bowser on this Wikipedia page, there is a photo of his gravestone. (laughs) It's built in the image of the Empire State Building and simply has the word Bowser on it. Mind blowing. (laughs) Now, while nerds like you and I can take away an increased understanding of the history of this, some super nerds may refuse to accept this historical fact and cling to Donkey Kong as Mario's original antagonist. But, you know, they'll say things like, yeah, but was John W. Bowser also a monstrous turtle demon thing? And to them I say, well, he was Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, Wow. (laughs) Um, Very impressive. Um, Brendan. Uh, with the final TED Talk. Ladies and gentlemen, join me if you would. (laughs) How does the death of an inspirational leader, the career of a 90s comedian, and a family of anthropomorphic bears prove the existence of travel between alternate dimensions? The answer may surprise you. (laughs) In the last few years, there's been a growing awareness of the pseudoscientific phenomenon uh, known as the Mandela Effect. Of course, pseudo is the... Greek word for totally accurate. (laughs) A significant number of people have distinct memories of Nelson Mandela dying in the 80s while in prison. These memories are taken as proof that those people have slid from an alternate reality where Mandela did die in prison into our own time where he didn't die until much later. 
This is the Mandela effect. Likewise, many people clearly remember the 90s children's movie Shazam, which stars comedian Sinbad as a magical genie, even though no such film exists in our reality. <laughs> or most convincing of all, the Berenstein Bears. Beloved children's characters and stars of books like The Berenstein Bears and The Honey Hunt. The Berenstein Bears learn about strangers. But of course, there are no such stories and no such characters. It was the Berenstain Bears who hunted honey. The Berenstain Bears who learned about strangers. At great cost, no doubt. If you remember the Berenstain Bears, you are in the wrong dimension. It is at this point that I made my most shocking discovery. I am, in fact, surrounded by refugees from alternate dimensions. My name is Brendan, with an O. <laughs> and yet, so often am I addressed as Brendan, with an A. Or, in some cases, Brian. <laughs> Are these people forgetful or misinformed? No. Clearly, they think I am the Brendan that they know from their previous reality, from the alternate dimension from which mm. they have slid into this one. And I can't help but wonder... How do I measure up? Do they like Brendan more than me? If you ever slide into that reality, please talk to Brendan and tell me. <laughs> so in conclusion, it is definitely not just the case that some names are hard to spell. <laughs> and it is not the case that people sometimes get confused about the 1996 movie Kazam, which stars Shaquille O'Neal as a magical genie. No, alternate realities are real. Obviously. Or, as Sinbad says to Tommy and Tina after they run out of wishes, Hey kids, you don't need a magic genie to make your dreams come true. Anything can be real if you believe hard enough and ignore much simpler, more logical explanations. That's the real magic. Shazam! Thank you. Those are both pretty mind-blowing. Um, I think, uh, I, I don't know, I'd, I'd already heard of the, of the Mandela effect before, so my, my mind was blown more by, uh, uh, by Bowser, the, the construction superintendent. Okay, um, fine, fine. Brendan would have got the points. I get it. Uh, but I'll give, I'll, give points, I'll give points to Brendan. Um, and I'll give points uh, to, to Andrew for, um, for Bowser. Um, Great. Uh, so we move on to the next round, um, the penultimate round, counselor or cannibal? Um, so I'm going to read out a series of quotes, and uh, I want you guys to ding in uh, and tell me whether you think that they are quotes from a renowned uh, neuroscientist and um, sort of founder of modern psychology, uh, Sigmund Freud, or actual cannibal Hannibal Lecter. Mm -hmm. uh, who uh, is also a, uh, a psychologist. Um, starting with uh, the following quote. You shall see who is the stronger, a gentle girl who doesn't eat enough, or a big wild man who has cocaine in his body. It sounds like Freud. It was Freud. He was a cocaine fiend, wasn't he? Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Um, <laughs> what progress we're making. In the Middle Ages, they would have burned me. Hannibal. Uh, that was Freud. Uh, the, full, the full quote uh, says, now they are content with burning my books. Sounds a little less, uh, little less ominous uh, when you add that final line. Um, Human emotions are a gift from our animal ancestors. Cruelty is a gift humanity has given itself. It's got to be Hannibal. It's totally Hannibal. I don't pray. I have not been bothered by any considerations of deity other than to recognize how my own modest actions pale besides those of God. Freud. It's Hannibal. Oh. Yeah. Biology is truly a land of unlimited possibilities. Hannibal? That's Freud. Culinary uh, possibilities. <laughs> unlimited possibilities. <laughs> Freud in Beyond the Pleasure Principle, um, specifically. Think to yourself that every day is your last. The hour to which you do not look forward will come as a welcome surprise. As for me, when you want a good laugh, you will find me in fine state, fat and sleek, a true hog of Epicurus's herd. Hannibal. Yes, that's very much Hannibal quote. And uh, finally, a man like me cannot live without a hobby horse, a, a consuming passion. In Schiller's words, a tyrant. A consuming passion. That's Hannibal, right? That's Freud. 
that's oh. Freud. Um, Not a passion for consuming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, so moving on to the final round. Erin, uh, how are we doing for scores? Um, at the moment, Brian and Moata are on 26, and hashtag <laughs> Nottelmensa are on 32. Ooh. I'm just enjoying, like, not being my name that people care about. <laughs> Um, great, so the final round is the debate round. Um, so not all Mensa, you're in the lead, so I'll, get you, uh, I'll allow you to decide which side of the argument you want to be on. The topic for the debate, topic up for debate, is that it would be worth living forever as a brain in a jar. Would you like to affirm or negate this moot? We would like to uh, negate, please. So you will be saying that it is not worth living forever. Not worth living forever as a brain in a jar. Very good. Um, so, uh, Neuron Burgundy, you will be uh, opening this. I'll give you each one minute for um, your opening statements. Your time starts now. Jars. Love them. <laughs> <laughs> There's something just classical about a jar. You can stack them, you can put them in your cupboard, or you can display with them. The possibilities are endless. <laughs> Mason jars are very hip right now. Um, jam cousins jars, honey, all the good shit. Yeah, and let's add one more thing to that list. Our brains. Mm. Now, there's nothing nicer than a nice, relaxing bath. (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes you wish I could get closer, I could soak better in this bath if it wasn't for my skin, if it wasn't for my muscles, if it wasn't for my sinews, if it wasn't for my bones. You can get as close to that bath as possible if you could just get your brain in that mm. sweet, sweet brine. Because you never have enough time for a bath. You know, you always just go with the shower option. Mm. If you're living forever, you've got all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's not a problem if you wrinkle up because you're a brain, you're already wrinkled. Very good. Uh, thank you for that uh, rich, rich uh, opening argument. Um, not all Mensa. Uh, you have one minute uh, to <laughs> negate it, uh, starting now. Well, being a brain in a jar or a brain in a bathtub or whatever you said before, it's, it does have its problems, is that you're going to dissolve eventually. <laughs> so you're going to need systems that keep you alive in it as well and replace the parts of your brain, making it more jar than brain and so on until there's no brain left. But also, this system <laughs> is not just going to help you, but it's going to help everyone. It's going to need a system that lets everyone's brains go in jars and then you're all still at the same sort of level as everyone else, but none of you is ever going to die. None of your ideas are really going to change that much. Society is not going to progress very far beyond brain in a jar, and then everything else will be in a jar as well. Not just the brain. <laughs> what? I mean, we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're making a couple of uh, assumptions here. A, that you have at least the sense of sight, since the eyeballs are extensions of the brain itself, and that... Um, we may even, we, we could even concede that you might find a way to communicate as a brain in a jar. A tongue in a jar. Mm. But in either case, it is still a living hell of being unable to reach out and touch and interact with your environment. A passive, forever distorted existence. Because have you ever looked through a jar? Everything looks weird, big and scary. And that would be what you would see for the rest of eternity. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Noral Mensa. Um, Neuron Burgundy, I'll give you 30 seconds of rebuttal to that argument. I would love to rebut what Jeff was just saying, but I wasn't listening to him, so I can't. (laughs) That's Um, because we're already in our jars, baby. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Everybody knows that bodies are a bit shit. Look at this one. Distinctly average. You've got to feed them salads. You've got to do all this, like, exercise and crap. (laughs) You're a brain in a jar. You don't have to worry about any of that. Yeah, let's get rid of our bodies. They're just holding us back. Stupid, (laughs) stupid bodies. No longer will there be a conflict between the brain and the heart, because there'll just be brain. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Not all Mensa, um, 30 seconds of rebuttal on your side. Well, I can can see why the other team would want to have a Brian in a jar. This Um, is Brendan! (laughs) 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 But the... The the, the simple fact of living forever, immortality itself, is a horrible, horrible curse. You would be doomed to watch everything grow, die, and dissolve over aeons as you are trapped inside a jar. I don't see any possible way in which that benefits. 
you know, just being a helpless observer to the decay of everything as entropy takes over the entire world or universe. Well, uh, quite, uh, quite differing arguments there. Final statements uh, from each side from Neuron Burgundy. Don't flush your brain down the drain. <laughs> Keep it in a jar. <laughs> You'll go far. <laughs> And uh, not all Metsa, your final statements. Immortality is a fate worse than death. Don't do it. Mm. 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 It would be a jarring reality. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't not say it. <laughs> Had this nice, clean <laughs> closing statement. <laughs> And he just came and chucked some mud on it. Um, okay, audience, now it's up to you um, to vote for uh, which argument you found more persuasive. <laughs> Either uh, keep, your, keep your brain in a jar because bodies are a bit shit, or um, being, living forever will be a horrible curse worse than death. Uh, if you agreed with Not All Mensa, please applaud now. Uh, whereas if you uh, wanted to have an eternal brain bath, please applaud now. Oh, it's close, but I think uh, I think that's going to the brain bath. Uh, Neuron Burgundy wins the points. Um, so uh, while Aaron's tabulating the scores there, um, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, remind everyone, um, if you're listening at home or if you're here now, um, to check out our website, nerddegree.com, our uh, Facebook uh, page, our Twitter page, which is occasionally updated. Um, <laughs> check us out on iTunes. If you enjoy the podcast, do rate and review us on iTunes because that will help uh, help us be heard by more people. Um, or just uh, go into Meet Space and tell Tell someone that you like the show and that they might like it too. Um, if you're in Christchurch, you can come and see the taping of The Nerd Degree on the first Wednesday of every month at the Orange Studio in Ferrymead. Um, and then you can listen again on podcast and relive your favorite moments. <laughs> um, <laughs> Erin, do, do we have the score, final scores? We, we do, but it's been a remarkably busy field tonight. Uh, mm. In fifth place, on one point, <laughs> is the Luke Skywalker-loving heckler. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fourth place, on three points, is the psychopathic Google Docs. Mm-hmm. In third place, with six points, is alternate reality Bream Dan Bennett. <laughs> and then, then the top two are pretty close. So we yeah. have uh, not all Mensa on 32, but Neuron Burgundy streaking ahead with 34. Congratulations, Neuron Burgundy. That is our show for tonight. Uh, please uh, check us out. Please come again. Uh, thank you very much. Good night. Thanks, guys. Brian Bonnet. I love you.